I believe in Christ, he is my king. With all my heart to him I'll sing. I'll raise my voice in praise and joy, in grand amens my tongue employ. Scriptures reveal the divine desires of the Lord in our behalf. Each of us should have a burning desire to search the scriptures diligently and daily to seek the will of the Lord in our life. Brothers and sisters, on very thin pages, thick with meaning, are some almost hidden scriptures. Hence we are urged to search, feast, and ponder. If you are lonely, please know you can find comfort. If you are discouraged, please know you can find hope. If you are poor in spirit, please know you can be strengthened. If you feel you are broken, please know you can be mended. Hi, welcome to Go and Do. This lesson covers the books of Enos through Words of Mormon. And we'll cover how a parent's words can have a lasting influence on children, how our prayers can be answered, how the Lord will bless us when we keep the commandments and help us to prosper, what it means to prosper. And then we cover a little bit about the people of Zarahemla and um, when Mormon interjects into the narrative and what he has to share about that. I'm Daniel. And I'm Feely. I'm Steve. I'm Anne. Yep, we're joined by Stephen and Sine, and they're going to help us with the books Enos through Words of Mormon. So this was a this lesson is kind of weird because it's so many little pieces. <laughs> it's not a, yeah, that's really like yeah. disjointed a little bit. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's like in little sections, and then even the Book of Omni is divided by like four different prophets, and a couple of them are like, "Yeah, I'm writing because I said I would." <laughs> I wasn't that great a person. I didn't do what I was supposed to do, but here's my two cents, and now I'm giving it to my son, you know. Hopefully he does better. Yeah. <laughs> I, thought it, I thought it was interesting that uh, I think in Omni, he talks about how they, the Nephites were almost driven to destruction. Mm -hmm. And it kind of says um, the, the Lord... You will not prosper in the land if you don't keep the commandments, basically. Yep. And I I don't recall that ever happening this early in the book. I always thought it happened later, like, you know, in, after healing and so such. But it, it's it's right there. In, and then it goes into the words of Mormon. And Mormon kind of says, hey, this is kind of <laughs> what's happening. Yeah, flash forward to yeah. the end of the story, and yeah, we didn't do that. Some, you know? some foreshadowing. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, I, I really like, so starting kind of in the Book of Venus, um, I really like how at the very beginning, so from basically the first three verses, he's talking about how his, what he learned from his father uh, affected him long term, and so in the in the manual it asks something like, "What messages do these verses have for parents and for children?" So, for parents, I thought that even though you feel sometimes your kids might be pushing you away, or they don't, you don't think that they're listening to what you're saying, or you feel like I'm trying to teach you these important things and it's kind of going over your head, or 
you know, you're not really paying attention. Something gets in, and that's kind of what happened to him. I don't think he was ever that bad of a guy, Enos, but he wasn't valiant in his testimony and just kind of was like, you know, I went hunting and I thought about things and I started remembering things my father taught, and maybe I should pray about that. And then it takes him on this journey, you know, and the, whatever, however many times he heard his father telling him, you know, about Christ and about repentance and all that, and maybe heard him his sermons or whatever, it, it really eventually sunk in with him and kind of compelled him to do that. Hmm. Yeah, I can really relate with this particular chapter because uh, Enos, you know, starts by, he goes off on a hunt and uh, I done a lot of hunting in, in Massachusetts and it's a really a great time for reflection on you know days gone by and things things that have been done and and something about being in the wilderness and mm-hmm. in that natural habitat uh, where a lot of times when you're hunting you're not getting anything you know it's just <laughs> you and it, the crickets and uh, you know the squirrels and, and then he gets to that point where he just decides that he wants to be a better person, you know. But then he recalls on, like on what you had hit on, Dan. He recalls on those foundations that his dad has has made for him. So, um, you know, everybody has to, goes to that point in their life where they finally get to, uh, they get to something happens or something triggers them that they finally realize that they wanna they wanna explore and have their own testimony. I always think about what was going on with his life before the story starts. You know, we kind of pick up and he's already going on this hunt. But what's been going on in his personal life that compelled him to start even thinking about this? You know, what what is he experiencing or what difficulties is he having that he's like, I need to get away for a while. I need to go up in the woods, get lost, and think. And he was obviously under some sort of pressure of life of some sort he wanted to get out and into the wilderness a little bit and just kind of think about what where am i where am i going and what am i doing and like you said it triggered that well my dad used to talk about this a lot maybe i ought to start thinking about that and i'll pray to god and see what he says you know yeah i think about on the mission where we um for me you you are going as a young person into people's homes to tell families how to live, you know, or <laughs> people that have marital problems or drinking problems or work problems, and you're a young missionary, and you, you, I mean, you've had jobs, Domino's Pizza, things like that, but you <laughs> haven't had a job, yeah. you know, where you've had to, like, your career and your family depended on it. You've had relationships, but you've never had a marriage. You, you've had siblings, but you haven't had kids. And there you are. And for me, I would remember all the advice my parents would give me or their example. And it became something much more real to me. And I began to appreciate it more when I was alone, you know, outside of the home. And I wonder if Enos is going through a similar phrase. Maybe, maybe his dad is gone, gone. Maybe he's out there remembering, or maybe he has to. And I think we all go through that, even even if we're raised very well with a good parent and have the gospel growing up. 
there comes a time when you got to find out for yourself. Yep. You know, and that's what I feel Enos is doing. I never I never felt like he he was mischievous like Alma the Younger, you know, going <laughs> about. I think he was minding his own business, just thinking, you know what? I wonder if this is true. Because in verse 8, well, in 6, well, in the whole chapter, <laughs> no. But in verse 8, it says, uh, And he said unto me, Because of thy faith in Christ, whom thou hast never before heard or seen, and many years pass away before he shall manifest himself in the flesh. Wherefore, go to, and thy faith has made thee whole. So he believed, he, you know, previously he talks about how he's heard his fathers. His father is always talking about eternal life. He's talking about these things. And then as he prays about it, the Lord tells him, because of thy faith in these things, here we're going to explain more to you. You know, you're going to see more. Yeah, um, I haven't thought about that. I had an experience on my mission. I remember, like, the moment even. It was a really profound moment for me. I was a good missionary. I'd always been a good kid growing up. I mean, I was on a mission. Things <laughs> I hadn't made any terrible decisions, but I remember sitting at my desk at, in my tiny apartment, and I was reading the letter from my dad. And I don't remember anything the letter said, but I, just, I think he, my, my dad just kind of just communicates events of his life. He doesn't share anything really profound, but as he was, it's kind of like, I went and did this and I went and did that. And that most of what he was doing was gospel service. Mm-hmm. And I just remember thinking in that moment how grateful I was for the family that I had and that my parents who had spent so much time loving and serving others and trying to follow Christ. And, but, I, and then, but I remember feeling so like deeply in that moment, I can't break that link. Mm. Like my parents are that way, their parents are that way, their parents' parents were that way. Like I can't be the weak, weak link here. Like I gotta strengthen my testimony. Like from here on out, like the rest of my life, I'm in, in gospel service. And yeah. it was a really small moment in this tiny little apartment, but I really will never forget it because that maybe that was my Enos moment. I wasn't praying or anything, but in that moment, I was thought, okay, I need to, I need to kind of step it up and be a little better. Yeah. I mean, the first sections, it, it says a parent's words can have a great lasting influence, yeah. you know? And, you know, one of the things in, in, uh, in, in Deacon's Quorum last week, uh, while we were speaking with the deacons and teaching, they, you know, I just... It's sometimes in Deacon's Quorum, you can, it's very rowdy, you know, and oftentimes you wonder, are they catching anything? Are they grasping anything? And, um, and I just had this feeling of, it's okay, you know, um, some of these things, it's not for them right now, but they'll remember it later. Like, even like, even like I do that, I, I remember things in Teacher's Quorum, and Priest Quorum, and Deacon's Quorum, and I've my poor teachers. They probably thought the only way they could get us to stand still is to bribe us with candy or something, right? <laughs> but uh, you remember those things, you know. Well, and I think the other side of that is, you know, what what messages or what is the question? What messages do these verse have for parents and and for children? For children, your parents have been there before. They've been in a lot of the same situations you've been in. And maybe they don't perfectly understand your exact circumstances, 
but the advice that they're giving and the guidance they're giving and the experiences they're trying to provide you with, they'll help you find solutions to your problems. And so I think when those deacons or when youth in general really, really need help is when their ears perk up and they start to cap- capture things, you know, that maybe other times they're like, no, everything's fine. I don't need to pay attention. But every once in a while they'll realize, wow, this, I, don't, I don't like how my life's going. And then what's the first thing that comes to mind? Hopefully it's the words of yeah. a leader or a parent. Yeah, I mean, the spirit can bring to remembrance those things, even if they weren't paying attention in that moment. <laughs> they still heard it yep. somewhere, like they retained that information. So when you're ready, the spirit will speak to you and it'll bring those things to your remembrance. And if, in you know, not everyone grows up in a, a home with a mom and a dad or a mom and a dad that get along or a mom and a dad that like their children or teach, you know, you know, it's, it's all varies. Sure. But um, there will always be people that can be a good example for you. You know, for me, I, I remember there were many uh, young men leader, my young men leader, uh, Brother Benyon. I remember him to this day, things he would do and his example and, and, and so forth until my stepdad came around and he was a great example. But my original father was not a good example. And, but it, there's always a way. It's, it's, never, it's never a dead end when you give yourself to the Lord. The next section is, uh, my heartfelt prayers can be answered. And, you know, and this is the, that special spot where Ina says, I wrestled with the Lord. It says I wrestled. Uh, the wrestle which I had before God. Oh, before God. Right? And I think that's that's really cool because I, I think a lot of the times we think that he's like having a wrestle between good and evil. He's, you know, But it's not a wrestle with God. It's before God. It's like in the presence of God. Almost like I'm, I'm struggling to figure this out and I, I'm trying to do so with the guidance of the Lord. You know? Not necessarily against the Lord, um, but... How, how do I reconcile this, Lord? Help me, you know? How do I get to a better place? And I think the struggle is with his own pride, trying to humble himself into, I need to change and it's time to do it. And he was after forgiveness. Which is, you know, for me, I, I think it's, it's definitely, I don't know, at least for me, it's not a one-time thing. <laughs> yeah. I'm often, I often find myself in, like you're wrestling, and now it's mostly I'm wrestling with myself, deciding do I really want to commit, or when the spirit tells you you've done this thing that is not pleasant, or you can improve in this manner. You have to make a choice whether I'm going to listen to that and do something about it, or it's harder to hear. It's and and I think that's how you know you ignore the whisperings of the spirit. And it won't be long until you don't hear the spirit anymore. And sometimes, for me, the wrestle, the wrestle before before the Lord, usually comes in the form of like a question that I have that He's not answering, mm. or like just waiting on Him to bless me with the the things that I want, or you know, just kind of that patience and trials or whatever that that's the wrestle that I have and he he could take it away with some knowledge or some comfort or some something you know but he watches me struggle and suffer through it because he has some 
other cosmic plan that I can't see. But because we grow through that wrestle, right? I mean, we get stronger through that exertion and that effort and it's painful, but um, that, but that's how we grow. That's how we become stronger. Oftentimes in that wrestling, there's you're trying to bargain a little bit. What if I do this? Then you'll bless me, right? Or you say, "Come on, I've I've been I stopped doing this and I've been really really good lately." You know, you're trying to like that's my favorite one for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so you're trying to like somehow prove to him, and he's just sitting there waiting, and he's just like. You're getting there, you know, keep working through all that. You're getting there to the point where you're going to be like, okay, I I don't know what else to say. Help me out. And then he's like, now you're humble. Now we'll talk, you know. Huh. Huh. It reminds me of the Cheez-Its commercial with that. The cheese is just not mature enough to yeah. be a Cheez-It yet. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah it's, that's what it reminds you of when, you, when you're making that bargain, when you're trying to make that bargain with the Lord. Yeah. The Lord says you're not, no, you're you just, haven't aged enough yeah, yet. You've got the big X, so you're not ready. <laughs> you can't be a cheese it. <laughs> can't be a cheese it yet. I think it, I find it interesting also that he goes from, he's concerned about his well-being to then his brethren to then his enemies, the Lamanites. And it's almost like a, it's a unique order of operation that occurs. You know, first you work out your salvation you know, and he's not perfect. He's going to have to endure to the end like the rest of us, right? And then he's concerned about his brethren, you know, his fellow Nephites. And then he's even, you know, and you, it, it almost feels like he's developing charity. You know, that's what, what it's meant, you know, where you can look upon others whom you do not agree with, but you are still concerned and want them to return. Well, it's interesting because as soon as he gets that feeling of relief, of forgiveness, his first thought is, what about everybody else? I want them to feel this too. I want my brethren to feel this. And then, oh my gosh, if they feel this, I want my enemies to feel this too. Um, and I think that that's, you know, he's a recent convert, you might say. And sometimes our best missionaries are recent converts because they're like so full of it, full of that fire, you know, they're like, hey, who, who can I share this with? You know, and we're like, oh, I, I don't know. I'm a little bit cautious to share it because I don't want to offend people or rub them the wrong way, you know. And converts are like, forget it. I just got this. Let's do this thing. You know, yeah. they're, they're so gung-ho about it. Yeah. And that's kind of what he's like in the situation. You know, it's funny because in verse 14, well, at the end of 13, it talks about even by the powers of holy harm, that it might be brought forth in the future they, that the Lamanites, that perhaps they might be brought into salvation. And then he says, for, for at the present our struggles, our strugglings were in vain in restoring them to the, true, to the true faith. And they swore in their wrath that if it were possible, they would destroy our records and us and also all our traditions and, and of our fathers. That's I mean, pretty... I'm messing around. Yeah, <laughs> no. that's a pretty hostile neighbor to have it's like we're gonna wipe you off the earth you in, know in your records Literally. and your traditions and anything you like you like christmas we're gonna destroy that <laughs> you like this we're gonna destroy your car it's gone you know like they just have absolutely nothing but then in 15 he says wherefore i knowing that the lord was able to preserve our records i cried unto him continually for he had said unto me 
Whatsoever thing ye shall ask in faith, believing that ye shall receive in the name of Christ, ye shall receive it. And um, I, I just find that really interesting that he would put that there, knowing that the answer to his prayer is not going to come till many years, long after he's gone. But it still provides him comfort there and then. And I think, you know, for us, there may be things that we struggle with. It may not be Lamanites. It may just be something else. It may be something we're waiting and the Lord has said, this will happen. This blessing you'll receive or this relief or, you know, this wrong will be righted. And, and, he's, and he was able to find comfort in knowing that the Lord will keep his promise. I've kind of always pictured um, the book of Enos as, in some ways, Enos's patriarchal blessing, hmm. because he is received a lot of pro- like he's promised a lot of things. At the very end, he's a, a promised eternal life, that like he's going to be able to return to the heavenly Father again. And I think that, like, I loved what you were saying about finding peace and hope in things that were promised and. I don't know that I've ever received something so directly promised from God like Enos has in this moment. But in my patriarchal blessing, I promised a lot of things that have brought me a lot of comfort and peace um, over the years and I'm sure will to come as well. That Just that small little kind of guiding light to, to everything's going to be okay. Well, it's interesting in verse 15, the second half, Whatsoever thing ye shall ask in faith, believing that ye shall receive in the name of Christ, ye shall receive it. He kind of got to the point where it's like, ask anything, you'll get it. And the trust that the Lord has in him at that point, I've never experienced that level because I'd be asking for all kinds of ridiculous things. And that's probably why I'll never get to that level. Um, He knows if you, if I give you this ability to ask for anything, you're going to ask for righteous stuff. And then what does he ask for? Preserve our records, you know? Selfless things. Yeah. Even if we all get killed and they come and wipe us off the face of the earth, just let the records stay. That's all I need. Yeah. I need to know that that will stay and because he knows what's in it and he knows it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's, you know, he's never seen Christ. He's only heard of him. Um, hasn't even come yet, you know, which is like a whole, we've never seen him either, but we at least can talk about it as this stuff happened. This is like, this stuff is going to happen someday in 300 years, you know. Mm-hmm. For him, that's like, to believe that that strongly, I think the Lord's like, you really do believe this. Your faith is that strong. We're quite blessed, if, if you look back now, that uh, so many uh, prophets of old have had such faithful prayers, and uh, I believe that we can all, you know, attribute our faith today in the 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 capacity of this great institution to prayer at such a magnificent level. Yeah. I mean, even just this week with all the recent events, I felt very grateful for a prophet who I know is praying for us and for the world, member or not, he's praying for us. I mean, he, I mean, this week I just felt so strong that he's a prophet of God. He's foreseen some of the difficult things like that we're facing today. I mean, conference is canceled. I mean, who would have thought? <laughs> he told us six months ago it was going to be the most unique conference. I mean, he's already off to a good start. You know, I just think 
like how cool is that that we have a prophet praying for us who has been promised things that we don't know what they are but just like Enos has been he got promised that the records would be preserved President Nelson has received promises that he will that will be fulfilled someday for us yeah I, I like how we've had all these shifts to be a more Christ-centered home more and that's kind of the reason why we started this podcast was <laughs> so we could um, maybe help others who didn't have a group or a family to study with, that they could do the Come Follow Me. And then we would kind of be forced to do it because we kind of agreed we'd do <laughs> We've it, right? now. <laughs> right? And, um, but then this happens and we're, 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 you know, church is suspended for a little while. And we now need to make time at home, make the Sabbath day in our home, you know. And, and it's, well, it's kind of a dress rehearsal because right now it's like, okay, we're going to take a break from church so that everyone can get to feeling better. Um, how are you going to use your Sunday now? You know, how are you going to use your morning? And it because might... you, you could sleep in, you could get up. There's no sports to watch, so that's out of the question. But, you know, you could get up and do really whatever else you want. And it's going to be like, well, are you going to get up? And how are you going to do sacrament with your family? How are you going to carry out? How are you still going to have a, a rewarding and fulfilling Sabbath now that you don't have the crutch of sacrament meeting? I'm pretty excited about having a half a slice of bread for my <laughs> <laughs> for the body point. of Christ. Yeah, I didn't think yeah. we had when we were in Great Lakes Naval Base. We had a senior couple. <laughs> She would bring in, she would make homemade bread. And the slices, I think, were like two inches thick. And they would bring peanut butter and jelly. So we would have sacrament, <laughs> and the pieces were like the size of crackers. It was delicious. And they would ask all the servicemen and women to come in for sacrament and then stay for a giant peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> and so we would always get people, and we could teach them, and... And it, it was really interesting, but it was, I, just, I remember that bread. It was, there was nothing like it. Big it was, bread. Yeah, big bread does big, work. Big, spongy, <laughs> That's the moral homemade, story. warm bread. Good bread is a good missionary tool. Big bread does work. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, just on ending here, Enos, you know, in verse 24, I, well, he talks a little bit about he saw wars between the Lamanites and Nephites, and he began to be old. And he said, uh, I saw that I must soon go down to my grave, having been brought upon by the power of God, that I must preach and prophesy unto these people and declare the word according to the truth, which is, which is in Christ. And I have declared it all my days, and I have rejoiced in it above that of the world. And I, I really like that last sentence where he says, and I have rejoiced in it above that of the world. And he just got done telling us a few verses back that the Lamanites would like nothing more than wipe every <laughs> part of us off the face of the earth. And we've had all these wars. And I'm super old, you know. But I have rejoiced in it above that of the world. And I so soon go down to my rest, which is with my Redeemer. And I know that in him I shall rest. And I rejoice in the day when my mortal shall put on immortality and shall stand before him, then shall I see his face with pleasure. And he will say unto me, Come unto me, ye blessed. There is a place prepared for you. 
in the mansions of my father. I just, it's interesting because it's very much like Nephi, very much like Jacob. They explain it wasn't easy. We had our trials. We lived a life that it didn't turn out the way we thought. A promised land for Nephi wasn't like the land bountiful where it seemed to be really nice. Mm -hmm. It was, we had to till the earth. We had to fight with our brethren. They had, they kept blaming us, you know, of everything. And we saw many wars and same with Jacob. But ultimately they, I feel like they had happy, fulfilled lives. Well, when you, when he's talking about rest, you, you can tell that he's ready for that. You can tell he's ready to rest. And the only reason you'd be really ready for that kind of respite is if you've been working really hard. And it's kind of like you were saying about your dad, you know. It, it, what, what's, what are you going to get a break from if you're not doing anything? If you're actively involved in serving and doing the, going the extra mile and stuff, then you're kind of looking forward to, in the end, that reward of peace, you know, and rest and knowing I fulfilled what I was sent out to do. Um, I remember my, my mission president, I think it was probably the last transfer of my mission. Um, he was like, so are you going to go out strong? And I was like, yeah, I'm trying, you know, like trying my best. And he said, well, um, do you feel like you're done? And I said, uh, well, yeah, I think so. And he's like, because if you feel like you're done, then you've done everything you were sent to do. And if you feel like you, oh, I can't leave, I still have more to do, then maybe you didn't give it all 100%. So you've got six weeks left. Give it everything you have so that that last day you're like, I left it all on the court. You know, there's nothing left to give. I did everything. And I think that's kind of how we have to think about life, too. You don't want to end up at the very end of your life going, ah, I wish I'd have done more. You want to be there like, yeah, I pushed it to the limit. I did everything I could, I could do. It's probably one of the best feelings you can have right there. In this mortal life, I imagine, is just feeling like you've you've done what you've, you know, you've completed what you set out to accomplish. Yeah. Well, it's almost like doing a good job. And it doesn't always have to be some grand thing. Do a good job of at your job, at your calling. Like little things. It doesn't have to be huge. One of, uh, I keep going back to the deacon's court. One of our deacons, he, uh, you know, now we're, involving them in the lessons and he wrote little pieces of paper they were cut kind of crooked in his handwriting he wrote questions and they they were hard to read but he did a good job you know he put effort and the spirit was there and so i i keep coming back to like in the book of mormon we're told so many times that the gospel is simple and it's precious and it's you know you need to have a firm foundation a strong testimony but a strong testimony and a firm foundation isn't a complicated mess it's a simple thing and those things can be sure we can know kind of like we were talking earlier we can know that there is a god and he's our father and we're his children and in that relationship he has certain expectations of us and he lets us know those by way of commandments and prophets. And as we follow those things, we learn for ourselves why he says those things. If we ignore them, it's harder to see for ourselves why those things are there. 
until we hit something hard like rock bottom or something we end up in a place but either way whether you end up at the bottom of the cliff or you stay on their path either place the savior can move you and sometimes you need the alma the younger experience you know or sometimes you need the enus you know just be introspective go out think about it for a while or sometimes you got to be the nephi that's all along i'm just going to hang on real tight and either way you know these are all the paths that these brethren took are slightly different but all were successful because of the savior moving on to jerem i think <laughs> the the biggest message i got from jerem was in verses 9 and 10 it says but the word of the lord was verified which he spake unto our fathers saying that inasmuch as ye will keep my commandments you will you shall prosper in the land and it came to pass that the prophets of the Lord did threaten the people of Nephi according to the word of God, that if they did not keep the commandments, but should fall into transgression, they should be destroyed from off the face of the land. It's so simple, you know? It's so simple. Do what's right, and you'll prosper in the land. If you don't do what's right, you won't. So the question is, what does it mean to prosper, and how do we know if we're prospering or not? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of times I think about prospering as financial or temporal ways. I'm, I mean, I always tell a story um, when I was in college after a mission. I had a job, but I mean, things get expensive. You just can't work enough to pay for school and rent and food and trying to have a social life as well. And I remember the few times I had to call my parents and say, I'm a little short. Can you help me out? And, yeah, we're happy to help you out. And my mom said, as long as you keep making good choices, we can help you out. As soon as you don't, we'll cut you off. <laughs> and while they're not like, that's good parenting, who knows? Like, but like the, but I just felt so grateful that they would do that for me. And I just like think about all the time. And that's the promise of the Book of Mormon, right? You do good things, I'll bless you. If you don't, I've got to cut you off. But that's kind of how, I don't know. That's a hard one for me though. Like temporally, we think about that, but I think spiritually it comes that way too because, like, if we're doing our best and trying to keep the commandments, things aren't going to go perfectly. We may not feel like we're prospering, but we have the promise that our burdens will be light and then we can make it through it. And I don't know, that it feels like that it's hard to feel like that's prospering though in the moment. <laughs> I always, we always end up saving money. And when we start feeling good, something happens and we have to use it up. Like clockwork, man. And there's part of me at the beginning that I that I think, darn it, why can't we just get ahead, you know? But then the other part of me thinks, thank goodness we had that money. Yep. Or else we'd be really hurting. It's kind of the half glass, half glass, glass half full or half a glass, however you want to <laughs> talk. You know, it's a little bit like that, but there's many people that don't have it go that well it's interesting to me that um i don't really consider prospering in the land to be being a man who works 80 hours a week right now <laughs> uh to to have you know money and you know the means to do all the things that you want and and of course sustain your needs and you know save for the future i just feel like prospering in the land is just having joy in your life mm. yeah uh, and 
there's a lot of parts of my job that don't bring me joy. Don't get me wrong, but <laughs> there's a lot of parts of my job that do bring me a lot of joy. Yeah, I I serve my mission in Guatemala, and some of the poorest people I've ever met live there, and some of those people are the happiest people I've ever met. And if you ask them, "Are you prospering?" they'd be like, "Well, I live in a tin house, but my kids have a little bit of food and." I, I got back from work and I had time to eat a little bit before going to bed and my wife's here with me and we're all together and we love each other. It's not so bad. And you're like, normally people would be like devastated. If you took me and put me there and said, this is your life now, I'd be like, oh my gosh, what happened? You know, but for them, they're like, I, I can't complain. You know, and you're like, you can complain, but they don't. They don't. Because I think they're truly prospering. They're saying, you know what? The Lord gave me this day to to work and to live and to, you know, provide what I can for my kids. And I'm pleased with that. I can't ask for anything more. I'm like, gosh, I got to be more like that. Yeah. So um, one of the things in Jerem that, that I found interesting, that's kind of like when we look at the Book of Mormon, one of the Book of Mormon uh, truths that maybe is a little it's there in the New Testament when Christ straightens people out about it but the the, the Nephites were talking about this long before Christ came which kind of kind of puts in perspective what the purpose of the law of Moses was and in uh, verse 11 it says were for the prophets and the priests and the teachers that labor exceed, ex- diligently <laughs> exhorting with all long suffering the people to diligence, teaching the law of Moses and the intent for which it was given, persuading them to look forward unto the Messiah and believing in him to come as though he had already, as though he already was, and after this manner did they teach them. And and I, I found that interesting because that's like, that's a testimony of you know, how they were living the law of Moses. But for them, it was always pointing towards Christ. And then when Christ comes in the New Testament, he says, why are you guys not understanding who I am or what I'm doing here? Because everything you've been doing and all these traditions that you hold so tightly, especially the Sadducees and Pharisees, you you hear, but you don't hear. Your, you see, but you don't see. You know, the blind leading the blind type of thing. I thought that was interesting that that, that was in there. Um, my favorite part of Jerem is um, right at the beginning where he says, it's kind of my turn. And in verse 2, um, he says, I, But I write a little, but I shall not write the things of my prophesying nor of my revelations. For what could I write more than my fathers have written? For they have not... For have they not revealed the plan of salvation? I say unto you, yea, and this sufficeth me. I just think that was kind of cool. Like, he's like, plan of salvation. That's all you need to know. <laughs> Enough said. Enough said. Yeah, I'm done. I'm just, I mean, he, and then he's, he says a little bit more after that, but I just thought it was so cool. Like, that is the most important. I mean, that's Christ-focused, right? The whole plan, where we came from, why we're here, and where we're going to go, and how that's all made possible. And he's like, what else is there to say? Well, and it's kind of hard to follow some of those other guys. I mean, After Nephi some of the stuff they wrote, this. and you're like, I can reiterate this, but it's not going to sound as good. So I'm just going to say, 
go and read their stuff. <laughs> Pun of salvation, you know? Yeah. And that's, I mean, I think I, that, that's very relatable. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that is very relatable for us. <laughs> like, I mean, I can't say as good as he just go read it. Yeah. So we move over to Omni. Yeah. And then Mosiah. The, those people stumble across another group of people. Yeah, this is the first time that we hear about someone who's not from Lehi's family. That is a prophet, right? That has the yeah. yeah. That we've got Jaredites and Mulekites who also independently came from Jerusalem. I think it says from when they threw Zedekiah in prison. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's I, I the Jaredites came before that, the Tower of Babel. That was, right? and we'll hear about them later. Well, we hear about them through Coriantumr. Right here. We hear about the Jaredites right here, but I don't think that, I think I was an adult and I'd read this many times before I realized that, like, There's three that this people, was happening. Right? That Coriantumr showed up before Ether and that the Zer- people of Zarahemla were not Nephites. Yeah. I don't think I realized that until I was an yeah. adult. Like, kind of subtle like it's not really blamed the way it does it well it's hidden hidden in omni right yeah it's just (laughs) hidden in this one little book and it's pretty cool like once it's pretty cool history when you put all those pieces together and then if you learn more about like the history of jerusalem too and like when they pushed out zedekiah and mulek ran away mulek's his son right Mm -hmm. um i just think that it's cool cool. because yeah i see it almost like an experiment Another group of people who came, but they didn't bring with them records or commandments. Yeah. And because of that, their language was altered. They didn't keep the commandments. They didn't, they, you know, they deviated. And so Mosiah had them retaught the language and they yeah. started again to teach them. But if you flash back, you see why it was so important that Nephi and his brothers go back and get the plates. Yeah. And why it was so important that he kill Laban. And why it was so important that he then pretend to be Laban and it's, dupe Zoram into going with him and all that. Because it's like, you're going to run in, your your descendants are going to run into these people who did not have this. And they're going to be totally messed up, right? Well, totally different. Where was it? It was somewhere in Nephi, the first or second book, where it talks about everyone, for them, once they got here, everyone led here was led by the hand of the Lord. And we know that of, uh, you know, the brother of Jared and those people, and apparently these people as well. But if you don't keep the commandments, if you don't do what the Lord does, you will be destroyed on this promised land. You know, it won't, it won't, you won't prosper on the promised land. And we're about to see a group of people who did not prosper. And, you know, we don't know all the details, but we basically know they didn't bring the commandments, the language changed. And then with the Ether and the brother of Jared, we hear even more detail later on about them. Yeah. You know? Pretty interesting, though, how they all kind of collide there. And then the other thing I always think about <laughs> is that these are three groups that we know of that happen to run into each other. We don't know. Yeah. There could have been 50 groups. We don't know. You know, they could have come from anywhere, not just well, Israel. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. There's one part where it talks about a gentleman who was a curious shipbuilder. <laughs> He's a very curious man that you all got in a ship and went somewhere. <laughs> and then they came back and they went somewhere else again and then never heard of those people again. <laughs> you know, you remember that part somewhere? Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, I'm not making that up. <laughs> Crossing that over in Lord <laughs> of the Rings or something. <laughs> no, that's real. <laughs> okay. I can't remember his name. It starts with an H, I think. But it, it names them too. He was a very mm-hmm. curious man. 
He was he's probably a really smart guy. He's probably the Elon Musk of their day, right? Yeah. Just making something and wanting to go to Mars. So. <laughs> but instead he ended up in like the Philippines or something. <laughs> I'm pretty Do that sure. enough times you can't find your way back home. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he's like, Yeah, we'll just stay here. <laughs> um then we go to Words of Mormon. And this is kind of a like in the movie when the narrator speaks up, you know? And I, I think it's really cool because we get so engrossed into the, the chronology of this that we don't even realize that there's a guy that's been compiling all of it and it's been kind of organizing it. He kind of steps in for a second and is like, hey, uh, just so you know, in my time, the Nephites are about to be destroyed and it's so good to have this stuff and I'm trying to compile this and put these with the, the small plates with the large plates. And it's interesting um, because... We know that later in, what was it, like 1828, when Martin Harris borrows the 116 pages from Joseph Smith, um, that it's really good that we had two, essentially two accounts of what happened because those 116 pages had all of information that we lost and the other account uh, was able to cover for that. Mm -hmm. It's basically we lost what would have been the book of Lehi. Right. And Nephi basically summarized a lot of the things his father wrote in his book and another, you know, it's it's and really interesting. And Nephi even says, I don't know why I'm doing this, but the Lord told me to do it and I'm going to do it. Right. Which, and Mormon says the same thing, doesn't he? He says, yeah. I'm not really sure why I'm doing this. I'm including both of these, but I don't know why. But I just feel like yeah. I should. Number seven, I do this for a wise purpose, for those that whispers me, according to the working for the Spirit. Now I do not know all things, but I know that the Lord knows all things. Yeah, kind of like, I don't know why we need two copies of this, but I'm going to stick it in there because that's what I feel. And how many times are we that way yeah. where we start to be like, why do I have to do this? You know, I'm I'm definitely that way. Whenever I get a prompting, I'm like, no, why? You know, and it's like, well, quit asking why. Just do it, and then you'll find out later. Maybe, you know, mm. if it's necessary, then maybe you'll look back and be like, oh, that's why, you know, and maybe you'll never have that moment. But regardless, just follow those promptings and it will be good. Verse 11, um, Mormon kind of just summarizes. These were handed down from King Benjamin from generation to generation until they have fallen into my hands. And I, Mormon, pray to God that they may be preserved from this time henceforth. And I know that they will be preserved, for there are great things written upon them, and out of out of which that my people and their brethren shall be judged at the great and last day, according to the words that God has written. And then at the end of the book, we hear a little bit about Mormon son Moroni, who says, I know for a fact, and I will be there, and you will look at me in the face, and you will know that we wrote these things. And you won't be able to hide from it, you know. And then we kind of stuck Moroni in all the temples. Just kind of But but it's a. I mean, it's such hard work. Many many years ago, and most of them, they had to go by faith. You know, they weren't there to know to see the whole story play out, but they did their part. And I think that's kind of how our lives are. We may not all be here for the second coming. You know, maybe two, three, four, seven, eight generations from now, right? But we can do our part. 
and teach our children and help others. Well, and even though a guy like Chemish didn't really contribute a whole lot of doctrine <laughs> to us, he still kept the records yeah. and he still passed them on. And when you're looking at the big long chain of 500 years where this all took place, all it took was one guy being like, I'm not carrying that anymore, you know, and we don't have it. And it's gone. So say what you will about these little tiny guys in Omni, but yep. they, they did their part to, to keep bringing it forward. This brass would serve me much better as a shield. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that I'm trying to kill Lamanites <laughs> here, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need to be hauling this uh, thing around. <laughs> it, it was funny. Um, when I initially read the Book of Mormon, um, it, I was when I got to the words of Mormon in particular and to to this section of the book, I I still hadn't uh, converted in my heart, and I was still just really studying the book for more or less content. I was really confused by this section being like just plop right in the middle, like hey, you know, stuff's about to go down. It's going downhill from here, you know what I mean? But uh, as, I, as I've as i read through it uh, this time, it was, it struck me a lot more uh, as it's, it's really important that they did this work uh, and you really, you really have an appreciation for all those things that people did before him, but especially during this, it becomes a really critical time in, in, in the Book of Mormon's history. Like once Mormon says, hey, you know, this is, this is really where we're getting to the really meat and potatoes of the Book of Mormon here. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's the part of the book that uh, fostered my conversion, mm-hmm. you know, from the next couple books. So in the next couple hundred, you know, hundred pages or so. Yeah, I think right along with that, in verse 18, it says, Wherefore, with the help of these, King Benjamin, by laboring with all the might of his body and the faculty of his whole soul, and also the prophets, did once more establish peace in the land. And I think that that really embodies what all of these prophets were doing. The All the might of his body and all the faculty of his whole soul. Like, every he gave everything. To the cause and and he's a really good teacher yeah like some of the best my favorite verses are always almost always king benjamin verses because the way he explains stuff he's very charismatic he's really <laughs> yeah. admire admirable one, one quick thing in verse uh 14 now 15 and 16 where it says and there had been many false uh there have been false christs and their mouths had been shut, and they were punished according to their crimes. And after they had been false prophets and false teachers, preachers and teachers among the people, and all these having been punished according to their crimes, and after they had been much contention and many dissensions away unto the Lamanites, behold, it came to pass that King Benjamin, with the assistance of the holy prophets who were among his people, they kind of just cleaned house you know they like <laughs> revitalized everything but i always when i read this i thought very much of like the early saints sometimes we think oh why did joseph smith get duped by that guy why did martin harris fall away why did this and it's like the nephites they wrote this and they wrote it for our day mormon saw our day and maybe he included some of this to let us know that there were people that fell away 
that pretended to be good and became false prophets and false Christs and teachers and false preachers and all these things. And it's not it's not an uncommon thing. And then, you know, because I when I when I was younger, I would look and read those stories of W. Phelps and the early brethren and how oftentimes they turned against Joseph and then they they loved him and then they tried to ruin him and and I'm like, why in the world? Why wouldn't he? Why would the Lord be like, hey, just don't trust that guy? Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> not that one. But everyone has their agency, yeah. you know. Yeah. And it did happen, and it was painful. It took the hearts, and it, just like uh, we learned about the first Antichrist in Jacob. What was his name? Uh, uh, Sherem. Sherem. He led the hearts of many people away. You know, and then we'll see that later on. And Captain Moroni and kind of puts an end, a permanent end to a lot of these guys. Um, but, you know, if they wrote those things and they saw our day, maybe they saw, you know, we hear every now and then someone gets excommunicated. Someone does something and we think, How, if it's true, why would they fall away? And it was no different in their day. Well, and even somebody as amazing as King Benjamin and had, with all the support of all the holy prophets, it says he still had to give his entire might and his whole soul. Right. It wasn't easy. It wasn't like, okay, everybody listen up. I'm here now. Time to be good. <laughs> you know. All the all this wickedness, we're we're stopping that now. No, it was like day in, day out, campaigning, working with people, sitting down across from somebody who's an instigator and being like, Look, man, this isn't cool. We're trying to establish peace in the land, we're trying to establish the gospel again the way it should be. And work I, I just imagine like tirelessly every morning waking up and being like, Okay, Let's do this. Well, we're not too far from the war chapters, what we call the war chapters coming yeah. up. But one of the things they say in there is uh, the word had more power than the sword. Yeah. Take our word for it because we've been fighting this whole time. You know? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the sons of Mosiah and stuff had more power than all the other craziness they tried, you know, because, you know, it's kind of like the spirit can change someone's heart a lot more if they choose yeah. to. I think sometimes the idea of like, well, why did why did we trust those guys? Or like, why did Joe, why didn't God say Joe Smith don't trust that guy? He's gonna cause havoc. Or why didn't like he just silence all the false prophets? Or like just stop the Lamanites from attacking the Nephites? And I think I mean it comes down to agency, right? But a lot of it is, I mean, we could, you could have a whole long discussion on agency and why he allows those things to happen. But the part that's really cool to me is that he preserves the like the necessary because he has a bigger plan and these kind of things are they're important for like individuals and like specific circumstances but the whole picture is like what he's focused on and like through the whole i just was been thinking about as we was having this discussion the message of preserving the plates preserving the record preserving the gospel preserving the language of our father preserving our covenants like that is what that's what Enos asked for. That's what his, it said. His father said also asked for that. He they'd also been promised that. And here we are, Mormon and Moroni. At the very end, the whole destruction of the Nephite nation has occurred, and now there's no one to preserve the records, so they just bury them and hide them, so they won't be destroyed. Like that is that is the goal. That even though like so much agency and so many other like little side stories are going on, the like main message is. Christ is going to come. He came. 
and now we're waiting for him to come again and there's the record of it and it's really important to anyone who wants to read it. Right. Well, and then I think it's back again. We have it again. Mm-hmm. But we still have to do our part to preserve it and to carry it along too. And what, in what ways in the modern times, because obviously we're not going to lose every triple combination on Earth, you know. It's digitized now, so. Well, yeah. <laughs> Um, but in what ways can we still preserve the, the teachings and, and all that? And it comes down to sharing it with others yeah. and being proactive about it, not just being text on a page, but being a lifestyle, turning it from something that we read about and we just comprehend and be like, oh, I really like that, you know, to being like, okay, I like that. Now, how does it change me? How does it compel me to be different or better or kinder or more Christ-like, you know? Right. That's how we preserve it now. It's not going to go away. It's on the earth forever now. But it, it's just words unless we do something about it. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's the message of the Book of Mormon is one, the Lord, God didn't forget his people. And the Book of Mormon's a blessing for us to know what happened on this continent. But it's also a very much needed second witness of what happened over in Jerusalem and and that's not everything there's more there's sealed portions of the book there's maybe other peoples other things and everyone and that's the thing is God is the God of all the earth you know and he loves all his children and up to just a few years ago what 200 years ago we're going on there was no idea that there was this book and that the inhabitants and, and the natives of this land were our descendants from these people. What would we know 200 years from now from another people? Yeah. Right? So there's no limit to how he has worked with individuals. You know? And like you said, the greatest testimony is, what are we going to do about it? Are we going to live it? Are we going to be examples of it? And that's yeah. why they did it. It's Yeah. I mean, when I talk to... Uh, here and there I'll talk to a couple people although I try not to uh, and <laughs> it'll always come up to the point where uh, you know uh, I disclose that I'm a Latter-day Saint they're like, oh yeah we've we've known some Mormons some re- they're really good people and then they'll, they'll tell the, they always they always have a story oh yeah I knew the couple he was always sneaking out for a cigarette he was always <laughs> Is that what you do? I was like, I have to kindly remind you, Mormons are people too, and yeah. you know sometimes people just don't follow the rules, like the you know, like, uh, and it doesn't make them any worse a person or any less of a, a Latter Day Saint. You know, they just got some issues that they got to resolve. Um, but more importantly, to draw from that, like. Uh, I've had a lot of conversations with uh, members of my family concerning, you know, uh, the validity of what the Book of Mormon strikes to the, in the um, you know, the account of Joseph Smith in particular. And um, I found that with discussing with, with Anne... Uh, you, you never really the best way to describe having 
complete faith in in the testimony in the account of Joseph Smith and the validity of the Book of Mormon is when you're confronted with evidence that you could that you could see as the meaning to uh, the Book of Mormon being a true testimony of Christ and then seeing it as actually not being you know not being that so uh, like somebody will say well it can't be true because the first account was stolen and who would make two books mm-hmm. you know what I mean like well that's not true because God foresaw such a issue and so he took care of that in his in his way you know and uh, and there's just a hundred, a hundred thousand examples of this that every day, uh, people look at like, oh, well, that's just a coincidence. This is that's <laughs> the, uh, no, it's the uh, it's the Lord's hand in your life, uh, you know, it's, yeah, it's just perspective. Definitely. It's I I think a little bit about that about the the hundred six page hundred sixteen pages. I'm like, well, the book could start on Mosiah, and it would still be great, or <laughs> yeah. Alma, or even just take us to Moroni. Just, just Moroni alone would clarify so much, <laughs> you know. And uh, I don't know. I just, I, I like to think that they weren't much different than we are, you know. And that promise that it was written for our day is very real. Like in here are examples of the same issues we're having today, you know, people with power abusing it, people with wars, people with fear, false prophets, this, that, you know, envyings, wrongdoing, blaming, wanting to fight because something that happened generations back or, you know, things like that. It's like, that's today. It's kind of interesting. Anyway. Yeah. And to me, that kind of speaks to the validity of the Book of Mormon. It's really hard for someone to invent something that is so applicable globally and like eternally. I mean, anybody who reads it could find something that they relate to if they read it with an open mind. Not maybe not even open heart, but an open mind. Like you could find something that you could relate to and just think, like, how cool is that? I mean, that's. I mean, that's honestly one of the great reasons of preserving records. When we don't necessarily preserve records for people to study and grow closer to God by reading them. My journals are definitely not that. (laughs) But I hope that someday, I mean, even for my own benefit, sometimes I look back on my journal entries and I remember things that I've learned and felt and it's helped me to move forward and remember the promises that I've been given and, um, and maybe someday my children will read it and find something that they relate to and Anyway, I just think that that's cool that we have the record of these people and their strugglings and all the things that they've learned, but through it all, their testimony of Christ. The Book of Mormon is truly the keystone of our religion, and that a man and woman will get nearer to God by abiding by its precepts than by any other book. And if you then go and do what he would have you do, your power to trust Him will grow. And in time, you will be overwhelmed with gratitude to find that He has come to trust you. There is no end to the good we can do 
to the influence we can have with others. Let us not dwell on the critical or the negative. Let us pray for strength. Let us pray for capacity and desire to assist others. Let us radiate the light of the gospel at all times and in all places, that the Spirit of the Redeemer may radiate from us. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come, follow me.